Welcome. We're going to be talking about discipline. That is practicing corrective discipline, specifically as it relates to teenagers, because that can become kind of a complicated deal. So I want to give an illustration. This illustration comes from the book Get Out of My Face by Rick Horn. It's a book on parenting difficult teens. It says, quote, stop, look, listen. Learn, on January 12, 2007, at 7.51 a.m., world-renowned violin virtuoso Joshua Bell, okay? Now, if you're into violins, you would likely know him. World-renowned. He dressed up as a common street musician. He played for 43 minutes at the top of an indoor escalator system in the subway station in Washington, D.C., an artist who commands more than $1,000 a minute for his performances, that's collectively, if they bring him. It says Bell played six classical masterpieces on his $3.5 million Stradivari designed violin from the early 18th century. More than 1,000 commuters, commuters hurried past Bell. Only a few gave him more than a passing glance, one recognized him from a concert she had been to the night before at the Library of Congress, and a grand total of $32.17 was tossed into his violin case. <laughs> In the presence, presence of greatness, virtually no one recognized him and none honored him as arguably the greatest violinist in the world. He was part of an experiment sponsored by the Washington Post to study how context affects the way people respond to a person or an event. How does one, how does what I'm looking for affect what I see? Interesting context. He used this illustration to remind us uh, to consider what do we, what do we, when we look at our kids, when we look at our teenagers, what do we see? You know, because some people, all they see is, uh, pretty big interruption in their life, especially if the kid's going through some progressive challenges. You know, but from a biblical perspective, we have to ask ourselves, what do I see when I look at my, my teen? You know, I, I, you know, having kids, it's not like a lot of things. You know, you, once you have them, there's no return policy. <laughs> you got them. And, and, you know, we typically have kids when they're younger, and so we don't even have the ability to contemplate what challenges or potential uh, issues we might face over the course of life. And, uh, and you know, sometimes the, the bumps aren't real big, and sometimes they're real big as we walk down the road. But, but as a Christian, what do we see as, as far as potential? What do we see as, as, as far as what God intends to accomplish in their life, realizing that we're a part of the process of bringing biblical change into their life? That's our desire as parents. Now, I do want to emphasize that we have to keep in mind the first two classes, the importance of what it means for us as parents to walk with Christ. Uh, far too many problems, of many of the problems that we have in parenting are a result of the hypocrisy in the home. That we want our kids to apply biblical truth, but mom and or dad are just not serious about applying biblical truth. And, and so we then have ongoing issues related to that. Um, I think keeping in mind that in the home, I know this sounds simple, but we are the adults. We are the adults. It's pretty tragic how many homes I walk into where it's kind of hard to tell. It's kind of hard to tell. And uh, truth is that by virtue of your age and by virtue of the fact that most of you have come to know the Lord and walked with the Lord for an extended period of time, you're, you're dealing with young people who've had really a very short time on this earth. And even those who have come to Christ have had a, a very, very short amount of time to be in the word and to learn and to grow. And so expectations of spiritual maturity from a teenager, while you, you ought to see some element if they're in Christ, but, but you guys, it's not at all what you would expect from an adult, right? I, I mean, they're at the beginning of life, and, and there's so many things that they're trying to deal with as teenagers, you know, they're growing up, and, and they're contemplating, 
Would have never guessed you'd be here this morning, Kelly, but welcome. <laughs> We've been praying for you, okay? Uh, we want to, uh, you know, understand that, that you guys become, you guys remember what it was like? Being a teenager? What were some of the good things about that? Kelly? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are some other good things about that? Yeah, I mean, you don't have the the level of care and responsibility that that we would typically have. Yeah, somebody else. Good things. What were some of the more challenging things growing up as a teen, from your perspective? Heather. Yeah, yeah. Mom didn't understand me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's a tension, by the way, as a teen gets older, and and they they desire and long for independence, but they're still struggled a little bit on on like the financial element of that. <laughs> <laughs> How to balance all of that, yeah, could be hard. Anybody else, some of the challenges growing up as a teen? Yes. Social yeah, social awkwardness, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if you grew up in a home where your parents weren't believers and then the com- compounding of the sin in the, in the home, they're just, they're just a lot of things. It's a unique time of life. It's easy to have expectations of teens that that maybe are not completely reasonable. But it is important for you to understand that you are the adult. You are the one who hopefully has come to know Christ. You've been walking with Christ for a period of time. So you are the ones that should be demonstrating spiritual maturity, even if your kid is not. All right? Even if your kid is not. And I'm telling you, it's very easy when a teen starts having problems sinfully for the parent to also have problems sinfully. And it's not supposed to work that way. So we're going to talk about some of those things. So in, in, the, in the book of Proverbs, here's some verses to remember as it relates to how we communicate with people generally. And I obviously want to apply it to how we communicate with our kids. In Proverbs chapter 15 Verse 2, it says, the tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable, but the mouth of fools spouts folly. And so it is true that as parents, we want to, to the best of our ability, make knowledge acceptable even to those that are in our household. Or Proverbs sixteen twenty one says, the wise in heart will be called understanding. And then it says, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Sweetness of speech. These are biblical principles that we really need to work hard on as far as how we communicate with our kids. Because what's the temptation? I'm just checking to see. Y'all can relate to me. Huh? Ooh, and we're going to get into that. That, ooh, we'll get there. It's going to be a little painful, but just know that what we talk about here that brings pain to you has already brought sufficient pain to, well, I don't know if it's sufficient, but it, it's brought pain to my own heart, okay, is, is I've walked through this road of parenting. Or Proverbs sixteen twenty three: the heart of the wise instructs his mouth and adds persuasiveness, persuasiveness to his lips. So you, so you guys, the idea is that when we speak to our teens, we want to speak with wisdom on our tongues. So even in the process of discipline, our kids ought to be able to say, my parents spoke with knowledge and they spoke with wisdom and then they spoke with a sweetness of speech, even in the midst of the complicated times of life. Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 to 26. It says, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, 
with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Do you guys understand? Not quarrelsome. I'll tell you what, the fighting and things that go on uh, it can be awful in a home. The, the screaming can be awful. The conflict, overwhelming. But it says here, we're to be kind to all, able to teach, and then patient when wronged. I, I think sometimes as parents, it, our kids get in our way. <laughs> you know, I, my perspective is, is discipline seldom comes at a convenient time or the need for discipline, right? I mean, there's just, there's always so many things going on. What's the goal of corrective biblical discipline? What's the goal of corrective biblical discipline? Training? Pointing them to Christ? Restoring a child to God? Holiness? Depends on where a kid is. It could be the gospel, you know, helping them understand the, the gospel so that they might ultimately come to Christ. What else? Restoring relationships. Imparting wisdom. Demonstrating an example of biblical love on the part of a parent? I mean that they would see an example of a Christian, a godly Christian? We'll get into that and how God disciplines his children, that, that in uh, this process of, of disciplining our children, they should be able to see the pattern of God and how he cares for his own children. Ted and Margie Tripp, say this in their book, Instructing a Child's Heart, corrective discipline is a beautiful picture. The parent is not standing over the child wielding the law. Rather, the parent is coming alongside the child as a fellow creature who has tasted the waters of life and can attest to its life-giving qualities. Christ modeled such a relationship for us. He was made like his brothers in every way so that he may be a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. Philippians 2, 1 to 11 describes his descent into human likeness so that we might be reconciled to God. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 describes his identification with us for the sake of our victory over sin. He stood beside us, embraced us, and showed us the way to God. That is God's purpose in correction and discipline. God is not trying to catch us or expose us or make us pay. His goal is to make us like Christ. Our discipline and correction should reflect the holy purpose God has for us. It should reflect the same humility, patience, long-suffering, and hope that our Savior shows to us. That's God's purpose in disciplining our kids. For many parents, I think the goal of corrective discipline is just do what I say. <laughs> I'm just tired of dealing. Stop. You're interrupting my life, you know. I don't want to be dealing with this right now. Don't you understand the complications in my life? The answer is obviously no. No, of course they don't. For Christians, corrective discipline is to instruct in the ways of God. We're, we're to use Scripture as a guide for our teens, not as a threat. <laughs> a few weeks ago, I, get, I was given the assignment during our conference that we had to speak to our teens on honoring and obeying your parents. I thought that was just so funny. Uh, because, you know, I'm, I'm standing in front of all these teens, and it's like, so how many of you have been taught the verse, honor and obey your parents? Hands go up across the room. Let's close in prayer. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not like they haven't heard that. <laughs> Although I enjoyed teaching it, and I did teach on it. But you guys, sometimes we can even use verses like that more as a, as a threat and control versus I that's a guide. I it's as much about our responsibility as it is about theirs and, and understanding the balance with that. Now, 
discipline, that is, corrective discipline is hard work. And so in what ways is it hard work, corrective discipline? Take, it, it takes time. And you guys, if I was to say, how many of you are busy, like almost all the time? How many of you would say, yeah, yeah. That's part of the problem. Okay, that's part of the problem. Okay. What, why else is it work? Being consistent. Yeah, and so it, honestly, it's hard to talk to your kids about being obedient to the Lord and honoring the Lord, especially if you're not, or if you're not consistent in your leadership in their lives. <coughs> you know, I asked you prior, if your kids turned out exactly like you, especially as it relates to their spiritual walk, would you see that as a good thing or would that cause you concern? If that causes you concern, you have a problem. In what other ways is corrective discipline work? It requires that you've done the work beforehand to have the wisdom to apply it. Which is a lot of any command over scripture at a very young age. Yeah, you got to know the word because otherwise you have to send them to one of the pastors, and that's not your God given role to send them to the pastor. <laughs> your God given role is to lead them and instruct them. Stephen, do you have some? Yeah. Yeah, even the even the phrase he introduced that with was what? <laughs> the heat of the moment. It's like where'd that come from? Huh? Biblical discipline is not an easy thing. That's why when people come for help, oftentimes they want us to talk about the end result. How do I stop my kid from lying? How do I stop from stealing? How do I help them this or that? But you guys, it starts with these essentials as it relates to biblical parenting. And discipline, you guys, it seldom is convenient, takes time, plan, know the scriptures. Sometimes it seems unending, doesn't it? I just think there's a huge danger when we parent our children that, that we get through those elementary ages and we think that I've built the foundation, so yes, now we're just sailing. And it's like, well, not exactly. Because now parenting at the teen level is going to require a whole different kind of parenting in many respects. You know, it's not as simple as spanking your child and say, just stop it. Because now their minds are working. Now they have questions and they have other influences. And, and so now it takes more effort and more thought and more prayer and more engagement. And so for parents that think that they're going to step back from parenting during the teen years because it went so well through the elementary years, not a good idea. Just not a good idea. You know, discipline we know is essential. I'm going to read some verses, but I want to make it clear that when I talk about the rod, I think the rod should be reserved for children, younger children. I think it's a dangerous thing to be using the rod when your kids become teenagers, all right? But Proverbs 22:15, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Proverbs 23:13 to 14, do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you strike him with the rod, he will not die. I mean, it's obviously when it says that, it's saying there's biblical balance in how you're doing this. You're doing it in love. You shall not strike him with the rod, and uh, you shall strike him with the rod and rescue his soul from Sheol. Proverbs 13, 24, he who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. The idea behind the rod is that discipline applied must be sufficient discomfort to discourage the behavior or the attitude. And so MacArthur says early childhood teaching requires both parental discipline, including corporal punishment, and balanced kindness and love. There is great hope that the use of the divine ordinance of the rod will produce godly virtue and parental joy. Such discipline must have the right motivation and appropriate severity. One who has genuine affection for his child but withholds corporal punishment will produce the same kind of child as a parent who hates his offspring. And so in those early childhood years, the rod is biblically appropriate to use. But obviously, the rod is used in relationship to a young child that it doesn't take much force. You're simply reinforcing appropriate behavior, stopping inappropriate behavior. But the rod obviously becomes a problem as they get older because they might take it out of your hands and use it on you. <laughs> But ultimately, we're working to give instruction. And so in Proverbs 19, 18, it says, Discipline your son while there's hope. Do not desire his death. And then 
29.15, the rod, and then it says, and reproof give wisdom. But a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. In Proverbs 29.17, correct your son and he will give you comfort and he will also delight your soul. And so we're moving really from the rod, that corporal punishment, into more correction and instruction and reproof. Now there obviously has to be something that brings sufficient pain to change behavior, but God gives us lots of ideas there and we'll talk about some of those today. It was so much easier when they were little and their minds didn't work so well though, wasn't it? And then they get big and all of a sudden you got a kid that might argue with you or smart off back and all of those different things and it's like, mm, that's when you really want to use the rod and it's like, oh, be careful. <laughs> be careful because now, see the thing is your kid is changing, you need to change as well. You need to change how you think, you need to change how you engage with this. The, your, it's, this is your offspring, you know? And you need to be biblical in the way that you deal with them. Now, the long-term benefits of providing biblical and corrective discipline are wonderful. Proverbs 10.1, the Proverbs of Solomon, a wise son makes a father glad. The other hand, a foolish son is grief to his mother. Proverbs 15.20, a wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish man despises his mother. Proverbs 23, 15, and 16. My son, if your heart is wise, my own heart also will be glad, and my inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak what is right. There's great benefit to having godly children. Proverbs 23, 24, and 25. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who sires a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and your mother be glad, and let her rejoice who gave birth to you. Proverbs 28, 7, he who keeps the laws of discerning son, but he who is a companion of gluttons humiliates his father. There's great benefits to raising children who are wise, but folks, you, you have to be wise to start the process as God's design. Ultimately, only God can change their heart, but, but you have to be biblically responsible. So here's a question for you. How many of you, when you were growing up as children, we're quick learners, okay? That is, you didn't like being in big trouble, and so you tended to be a little more responsive to your parents. How many of you were kind of quick learners, and it's like, yeah, I don't like being in trouble. This is not good, okay? How, how many of you kind of hard-headed, okay? A little more challenging, and some of you are withholding, Okay. I don't blame you. Uh, you notice I didn't volunteer where I was at. <laughs> Two boys. And uh, one of them's like, how come he doesn't get in trouble near as much as I do? It's like, because he learns from you. <laughs> Sees what you go through and says, I don't want to do that. No, not me. <laughs> I mean, that makes sense, right? Kids, kids are very different. And, and, you know, when I was a youth pastor, you guys, when it, there are some kids, if, if one of them was talking over here, if, if I just glanced at them as I was looking across the room, <laughs> they felt awful. There are other kids, I mean, I could have them stand up and stand in a corner, stand on a chair. You just like, whatever. You know, there's just that reality in life. And, and you guys, that's one of the challenges with biblical parenting. Even for those of you that are compliant, we'll get into this later, you know, that we tend to parent the way we would respond to our own parents. And then God gives you a little spin. <laughs> this kid's not like you. <laughs> and you're going, well, I don't know what to do then. <laughs> I don't know what to do. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 and following, it's a picture of God's discipline for his children. It says in verse 5, And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. In verse 5, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. And then it says, Nor faint when you are reproved by him. Now, why would it say, don't faint when you're reproved by the Lord. <laughs> it's, it's easy to faint when you're reproved by the... I mean, what's the point? I mean, you could get discouraged. 
You could feel crushed. How about this next one? It says, for those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And then it says, and he scourges every son whom he receives. Now, what's the word scourge mean to you? Got an answer. Pain. I mean, at some level, pain, right? There's some level of pain. And, and, and so the, the point he, he's clearly making is that, that discipline brings some measure of discomfort. You guys, how many of us would change if there wasn't sufficient discomfort to change, right? I mean, discipline is intended to discourage us from doing something that is not good or right or helpful. And so it says that God disciplines his children. And the picture is such that it makes it clear that, that you know what? It's kind of a scary thing to have God discipline me. Because he could, do, you, you know how that is when a mom says, okay, you're going to have to wait till dad gets home. You know, my, uh, my first wife, who is with the Lord, because she was crippled from arthritis and things like that, and when they were little, if she'd spank my kids, they'd just cry. She, it didn't hurt a bit. They knew it. I knew it. She knew it. It's like... <laughs> You know why they did that? Because if they didn't, what was going to happen next? <laughs> I'm coming in. <laughs> See, the picture when God is disciplining us is that he will do it for our good out of his great love. But you guys, he will discipline us sufficiently to help us understand that if we continue to go down the road we're on, it will be disastrous. It's out of love. In Proverbs 3, 11, and 12, it says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son, in whom he delights. And so back in Hebrews 12, verse 7, it says, It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us. That is assumed. And then it says, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. Then I like this verse, verse 11. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. But in the end, after we've been trained by it, it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness. Isn't that a beautiful picture? I mean, I don't think any of us in this room would say, you know, I, I just long to be disciplined. But I would suspect if you're in Christ, you would say, God, if I need your discipline, please discipline me. Because the alternative is awful. And God disciplines us out of love. God disciplines us sufficiently. And you guys, the truth is that that has to be balanced with the, the particular kid that we're dealing with and, and their personality and their strengths and weaknesses. It has to be done. Here, it, it's why. So that we may share in God's holiness. Why are we disciplining our kid? And I think the objective to that has to be so clear. It can't just be so that you have an easier life, so you don't have these interruptions, so that, that, that uh, you, you have a responsible adult and all of that. It has to be that I, I, want, I want to pattern my life in such a way that my kids see Christ in me, the hope of glory. Not perfectly, but a determined pursuit. I don't want to discipline and harshness because I'm just tired of the behavior. I want to discipline in such a way that they understand my deep, deep love for them. And if my boy, especially if Jake was here, he would tell you, yep, yep, my dad. I say, son, this hurts me more than it hurts you. I you know, he said, I, son, I really love you. And Jake says, yeah, he, that's what he told me. I love you. Now Jake has five kids with a sixth on the way. Yes. <laughs> <coughs> And he would tease me relentlessly about saying, I, I'm doing this because I love you so much. And it's like, 
here we go. <laughs> Thanks, Dad, for loving me. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but he knew that I wanted him to be a godly man. And I would do anything in my power to help in that process. Not perfectly. He could tell you that too, but don't ask him. <laughs> Discipline. Having the right balance. Let me talk about some of the dangers in discipline. Uh, I mentioned this. I alluded to this. What worked for me? So if you are a compliant child and you have a child who is not a compliant child and you tried to, to discipline according to what worked for you, you're probably frustrated because parenting doesn't always work that way. Uh, you know, th you may have a kid that's that's really a lot more fiery in in the response and not not near as pliable as as you were, and so it can be really hard to learn how do I deal with this kid that doesn't respond to what I am accustomed to somebody responding to. If you are one that's a little hard-headed, then if you have a compliant child, it would be possible that you could be a little bit harsh because that's what it took for you. And so you're just kind of that matter of fact. You have a compliant child, that, that could be crushing for them. I mean, part of parenting, honestly, is spending a lot of time on your knees saying, God, give me wisdom for the particular children specifically that I'm dealing with and how I can know them well enough so that the discipline I bring. See, it's so much easier just to have one size fits all. <laughs> that way it's convenient. But it doesn't work like that. It just doesn't work like that. You guys also keep in mind, I mean, with a, with a kid that maybe is a little more outgoing and, and a little more difficult, sometimes it's easier to see where their heart is. It's easy to think that a compliant, quiet child is a humble child. Not necessarily. Sometimes it's harder to know what's going in the heart of that quiet, compliant child. And sometimes there's things that you haven't thought about and you just assumed because they're, they're easier to manage that their heart is right with God may not be true. Also, for that kid that can be just a, a, a challenging, difficult child at times, you know, you think that, that personality, that drive, focused on the Lord, be pretty neat, pretty exciting. And it's not focused on the Lord. It's going to wear you out. But you just have those different strengths and weaknesses. And so you need to be really careful that you don't just parent according to what worked for you. There's the danger of efficient discipline. Our culture really promotes this. It's the idea if, a, if your kid does something bad, it needs to be addressed immediately. You know? Don't let, no time wasted. Let's get, just get, you know, deal with it. And, and you guys, I, there, there are things that need to be addressed immediately. You know, like somebody's going to jump into a fire or off a wall that's 12, I mean, so I get that. There's, there are things that need to be addressed immediately, but, but it seems to me that a lot of parenting conflict, parenting teen, it comes from being overly efficient, okay? Opening our mouths before we should open them. Struggling with our own personal sin, anger, and not dealing with that before we engage our kids. I think that we need to be really careful. I think there's a lot of times discipline can wait. It can wait probably hours and maybe even days, honestly. And again, I, I, I understand that that's not always the case, but I think it's better oftentimes to go slower, be prayerful, talk as parents, come to agreement where you can do that in your life situation, and then deal with things spiritually, objectively. 
in Proverbs 25, verses 8 to 11, it says, Do not go out hastily to argue your case. Otherwise, what will you do in the end when your neighbor humiliates you? Argue your case with your neighbor. Do not reveal the secret of another. And then it says this, Or he who hears it will reproach you, and the evil report about you will uh, not pass away. And then it says, Like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. So what he's saying is be careful where you engage in conflict, engage in trouble. You need to be so, so very careful. I mean, you guys, I, I suspect most of us, there have been times we would say that I should have just kept my mouth shut and walked away and spent a whole lot more time praying and thinking, trusting that God could give me wisdom in the situation rather than reacting and responding. Sometimes we discipline actions and we don't discipline attitudes, but attitudes are as important as actions. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> have you ever heard somebody say, well, I can, change my, I can change my actions, but it takes a while to work through my attitudes? You ever thought that? That's just another one of those lies. You understand that's not true? How many of you ever had a bad attitude? <laughs> Okay, so here's the deal. Philippians 2, what does it say? Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. So do you think God is saying, when you have a, okay, Rick? No. So Rick's having a bad attitude, okay? Towards parenting. We're going to talk about that in a minute, okay? You think God's going to buy that when he says, well, you know, God, I know that was wrong, but it just takes me a while to work through my attitude and have this attitude, which is also in Christ. You think God's going to say that's okay? You guys, the truth is, you can, you can change your attitude just as fast as you can change your behavior or your actions. You know that? Equally as fast. Equally as fast. I mean, all you have to do is recognize, ooh, this is a sinful attitude. God forgive me. Next time we meet, we're going to talk about the process of biblical change, how that works. Because I think sometimes even within the Christian world, we, don't, we, we have it kind of backwards. And so this helps us as parents because when we talk about these things, first of all, we have to model them. <laughs> right? And then we can help our kids to understand how this works. But you guys, we have to deal with both uh, actions and attitudes. Both can be sinful and both need to be done right in honoring to God. That's our goal. That's our pursuit. Parents with different standards, okay? Parents with different standards. So I mentioned this a little bit last week. We have one parent who is strict, one parent who is lenient. So what do you do? Yeah, <laughs> or do it my way, either way. <laughs> it's a clash. It's, it's deadly. It's deadly. And if you as parents can't come together with a plan to be consistent in how you accomplish biblical discipline, what are you saying about Christ's work in your own hearts? I'm speaking of believers, okay? Okay? If you're both believers and you don't work and work and work to come together with agreeable plan? What are you saying about your own Christianity? It's, it's not good. And you guys, when, when you have those things, you, you as a couple, you have to go to the scriptures, you have to get on your knees, you have to pray, you need to get united, seek counsel, whatever you need. Because I'm telling you, it's deadly. It's deadly when you have those two competing, because in, in I, I've seen it in, in just absolutely awful ways where, where one parent feels like the other one's too lenient, and so they're really strict. The other one is trying to balance the strict one by being more lenient, you know? And so, so one, parent's, one parent's kind of the dog, right? I mean, the kids are saying, gee, you know, you're, you know so-and-so's like so hard and harsh, and, da -da -da. and the other parent's what? The hero! Well, that may make you feel good, but it doesn't honor God. It doesn't honor God. And the truth is, for all of us with our kids, there will likely be times that our kids don't think we're the best person in the world. 
because we have to do what's biblically right. We still do it in love. We do it with grace. But you guys, parenting's hard. It's hard. You can't be the hero. You be godly, and you work hard to come together. And uh, in, in that testimony will be really important in how, y- how you parent. <sighs> this one's like my least favorite. Should I skip it? disciplining our teens sinfully I I remember fairly vividly a time when my two boys were young and they were very about 18 months apart they were very competitive with one another very competitive and uh and so there, you know, all of that, you know, sibling rivalry. Tries and you guys know, sibling rivalry, we could talk about that. Maybe we will. That goes back a long ways, you know that. <laughs> and I remember, I'm going, you, can't you guys just knock it up? And it just hit me. I'm actually doing the exact same thing they're doing. What's with that? So I'm teaching my sons not to sin by sinning. What's that? Oh, I just remember my heart just... I am so sorry, God. How awful is that? But also, how easy it is to get into bad habits. Even... um, You know, we talk to our kids about don't roll your eyes. Don't do that. But honestly, it's easy as parents to do that. You know, you walk in the door at the end of the day and maybe mom says, oh, so-and-so, it's like, (sighs) I mean, what's the difference? No difference. I mean, we can be equally as bad about that. Or you guys... uh, For those, maybe some of you gals or ladies are at home, your husband comes home and and it's been an awful day with the kids. You know, you're just wore out. And he walks in and and guys, your wife says to you, you need to talk to so-and-so because what happens in your heart, guys, when that happens? You don't have to tell me that, okay? But, you know, isn't it easy to walk in and go, (sighs) I mean, that's like the last thing I want to... You know, you're thinking, I've been put in a whole day, a hard day at work, and, you know, but your wife's going, you should have been here all day. Made your work look easy. Mm-hmm. There are two sides to this thing. It's like, well, what is that? What is that that triggers that? Because it's, it's selfishness. It's selfishness. You know, Jesus says, if any... Man will come after me, let him what? Deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Because how about the impatience towards our kids? It's like, how many times do I have to tell you? You know? It's like, well, what's that in my heart? Now, I'm not saying we don't have to continue to deal with the issues and come up with a plan, but I am saying that when we have sin in our heart in response to our kids, it's wrong. We're teaching them a wrong pattern or using harsh words, you know, yelling. I, you know, I, I hope you're not yellers, but if you are, you guys, that's wrong. Harsh words are sinful. That's all sinful. And, and sometimes it's, it's almost a competing thing. Your kid gets loud, you get loud. They get louder, you get, you know, and, I mean, and you have this escalation. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. There shouldn't be an escalation because you shouldn't participate in that. We can threaten our kids, this or that. I'll talk about that more in a minute. You guys, our teens' uh, sinful struggles often reveal how sinful we are. Okay, that can happen where we begin to realize that, you know what, it's pretty easy for me to get into trouble. And when we realize that, that gives us more patience dealing with their sinful issues. (laughs) Okay. It helps us to think right about what we're doing. You know, uh, we can... uh, we can get tired of our kids complaining. We can get so tired of our kids complaining that we can complain about our kids complaining. Can't we? 
It's just easy to get into trouble. Your teens need for discipline presents some of the greatest opportunities for biblical instruction if done right. But I'll tell you, for a lot of parents, discipline is a major inconvenience. I had one guy I was talking uh, to who has a young family um, a number of months, maybe a year ago or so, and he was telling me what he learned to do coming home from work. He, when he'd drive into his neighborhood, he would stop a couple of streets away from home. He said, they probably think I'm a stalker in my neighborhood. <laughs> he'd stop, and he'd pray, and he'd say, God, prepare my heart so that as I walk into the house, I'm prepared to be a biblical husband, a biblical dad, dealing with whatever I need to in a biblical way for God's glory. See, too many people think when I come home, that's when I need to be able to shut down, sit down, kick up the lazy chair, turn on the TV, and, and uh, I'm, I'm done with my day. No. Your day's just beginning. Some of the greatest privileges and responsibilities of your life, they're just beginning. And that should be glorious, not an obstacle, not something that gets in the way of your life. Discipline needs to match the crime. It needs to match the crime. And, and you guys, that's one of the dangers of disciplining uh, too quickly. Sometimes we can say things that are just really heavy-handed. They're just really heavy-handed. And we don't want to do that. On the other hand, if, if you're too lenient, that doesn't help either. So, so if a kid goes out and steals a candy bar from a store, okay? So some kids, if you caught them and you took them back and they had to apologize, that would be enough for them. They'll never do it again. But other kids, it's like, man, that was the fourth candy bar I stole and all I had to do was give the candy bar back. It didn't cost me a thing. <coughs> this is a pretty good deal, right? And, and so you, you, the discipline has to be sufficient to say. Now, that kid that thinks like that, and then all of a sudden they have to work in the yard for five hours, and do, you know, we'll talk about that in a little bit, because you know what it's like? You know what happens if you tell a kid pull weeds in the backyard for an hour? How many weeds you get pulled? We'll talk about that. <laughs> there are ways. There are ways. Okay. So it needs, to, it needs to match the crime. You know, Galatians 6, God is not mocked. Whatever man sows this, he shall also reap. And, and so we need to be careful and thoughtful in that. Uh, we need to be careful not to respond in like manner. So if our kid is acting childish, we should not act childish. We're not, we're not mimicking them. So if they yell at me, I'm going to yell at them. If, you know, you're going to treat me disrespectfully, then I'm going to treat you disrespectfully. Well, where's that? You're going to be rude to me, I'll be rude to you. You're going to make my life miserable, I'll show you how miserable I can make your life. That's godly parenting. Can't do that. That's not the way. And that's where, when I spoke earlier about the kids, they're young, okay? They have very little life experience. We're supposed to be in Christ and hopefully been growing in the Lord for a period of time so that we need to be careful we're consistently uh, demonstrating biblical maturity. Distinguish between sinful behavior and childishness or carelessness. All right, and, and it's important. So if somebody spills milk, that's one thing. If they lie about spilling milk, that's another thing, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, sometimes things become more important than people. So this is one that I did. The first time I ever bought a new car, okay? And I thought, wow, this is, you know, because I was broke most of my life. And, uh, and my boys were young, and I stopped, and we got cans of Coke, or I don't remember what, it, yeah, I think it was cans or something. And they said, can we open ours? No! No, but I opened mine, and I went to set it in that little tray, and I missed and tipped it, and it spilled all over it. And I went, y'all can open them now. <laughs> I don't care about new cars anymore. It doesn't matter to me. A moment in time, and literally, that is what I did. You can open them. Yeah, it's all it's broke in. We're done. <laughs> but trying to think through, you know, carelessness and, you know, what's, what's important, what's not important, how to balance those kind of things. I'm not telling you everything I've done. I'm just telling you, okay, there's a limit to how much I'm going to expose. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> most of us can relate. We just, it's like, oh, Lord, thanks for your patience with me. 
inconsistent discipline. What is fine one day is punished the next day. You impose inconsistent discipline. You impose discipline and you don't follow through. When discipline is more a reflection of how your day is going or has gone, rather than an objective response to poor attitudes or behavior. You know, when one of the spouses has to say, hey, be careful, mom's really not very happy today, or be careful because dad's not really happy today, that's not a good situation, okay? So, so y- you guys, uh, it's really important that discipline is consistent. It's thought through carefully. It's thought through responsibly. You have a plan, and, and not having a plan is usually a very dangerous thing. Unreasonable discipline unreasonable uh you know if you do that again you're not gonna you're not gonna have your phone for a year you do that again and and you're not gonna drive when you're 16 they're 13 years old you 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 know you guys when you do that i just want you to know that takes all of the impact out of it it just takes all of the impact out of it because you know why Kids, how do they think? See, you're, start, you're thinking like an adult now, and it's easy to forget how kids think. You guys, what, is a, what does a teen think about a week? It's like forever. A week is forever. You guys remember going into junior high or middle school or whatever? For me, it was a two years, going to junior, two years. It's like two years. I mean, I'll probably die before I'm done. Now, you guys remember that? Two years seemed like forever. And then high school. <laughs> it just seemed impossible, you guys. Kids don't think in those time frames. When you do things that are going to last months, I just want you to know that that impact oftentimes just goes away because you've just completely overwhelmed them in ways that they can't even conceive of. I mean, it's a big thing to say this Friday night, you're not going to be able to go out if you do that. But when you say you're not going to be able to go out for three months or six months, it just starts to wash out the discipline. And, and so, so thinking carefully about reasonable discipline that actually will have an appropriate impact on your, on your team is going to be more important than threats or exaggerated disciplines or things that they know you're not going to follow through on. Now, parenting and the sanctification process, okay? I just want to remind you that as you parent and as you especially walk through disciplining your kids, uh, it is, it is going to provide great opportunities for you to grow in your faith. It will Because it's going to reveal sin in your heart, if you will admit it, and it's going to reveal some of the struggles you have. And the more you're sensitive to those things, the better you're going to be at being a parent and disciplining your kids. Not that they're all going to respond to everything, but it's that you're going to respond to them as a sinner saved by grace, struggling with sins in similar ways actually to your own teens. Okay? That's not to justify their behavior. It's just to say the more you understand your own walk with the Lord and that God is actually using your kids in your life as part of your sanctification, okay? You say, well, I can't believe this kid's doing that. God, God intentionally gave you that specific child for your good. And, and the truth is, you may grow more than they do. You may grow more than they do. If, you will, if you'll see things right. Now, I do, don't, don't quote me outside of this classroom, okay? I talk about teens, I talk about the terrible twos revisited. <laughs> but there's a distinction. You guys remember, there's sometimes this age when they're young and they're just like, push, 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 push. Like, you know, it's like, stop that, stop, you know? And, you know, and you're just, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. You know how many times, you know? You keep it up, I'm gonna let you put your hand on that little hot thing, you know? No, <laughs> no, we don't do that. <laughs> We don't do that. You just keep saying, no, 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 no. Well, you guys, sometimes as teens, we think that's over. And I don't mean twos. I just mean as teens, sometimes there starts to be this pushback again. And, and I'm not saying that they're consciously thinking about this, but it's a question about how consistent are you going to be? How much do you believe this? How committed are you? This? And so that pushback, see it as an opportunity to just demonstrate biblical uh, conviction and commitment, right? Don't see that as a bad thing when they keep pushing because if you get tired of the pushing, pretty soon you're gonna, it's going to be more of a personal deal. I'm tired of this. Stop doing it. 
If you just see it, I, I just need to demonstrate them consistency, consistency, consistency. They need to see my love. They need to see my convictions and commitment. So don't see that as your enemy. See that as your opportunity, because if you see it as your enemy, then you're going to start acting in the flesh because you get tired of the inconvenience, all right? Ah. And then <laughs> here's just a question. If, if God displayed the same attitude towards us when we struggle with sin that we display to our teens, what would our lives be like? Let me say that again. So if in the process of our life and our sinfulness, how many of you struggle with sin like every day? Okay. I already know. You didn't have to raise your hands. We, right? But, it, but we struggle every day with sin. Think of how patient the perfect holy God is with us. Okay? It, 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 if God displayed the same patience towards us as we give to our kids as we walk down the road with their growth and hopefully their salvation and their, their sanctification, what would that look like? We, w- we really want to reflect what God does in our lives towards our kids. That's what we want to look like. And so, biblical, uh, a lack of biblical discipline often comes from poor planning. We're going to talk about that. We're going to have to talk about more next week because part of the issue is, is what's my plan when my kid does something bad? And, and so let me, I'm going to move ahead. I want to look at Deuteronomy 28 just briefly because I want to show you some of the things that God puts into place because God is very, very clear about his expectations And then he's also very clear about the consequences of failing to meet his expectations. He's also very clear on the blessings of living in obedience to him, okay? So we're going to touch on this today, and then next week we're going to look at it in, in more profound ways. That is, okay, what can I impose for discipline on my kids that could be helpful for them to, to realize they need to change, all right? So in Deuteronomy 28, I'm not going to read all of this, but, but it says in verse 1, Now it shall be, if you diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments, which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, speaking to Israel. And then it says, all these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. And so he lists these blessings. Blesses you, shall you be in a city and your offspring and da da da. He goes through all of these blessings. He's going to establish holy people, provide this great storehouse in verse 12. And then verse 15 it says, But it shall come about if you do not obey the Lord your God to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I charge you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. So you have the blessings, all these good things that will happen. But then he makes it clear, but listen, if you decide to just reject all of this, and then it says, cursed shall you be in the city, in the country, cursed shall be your basket, your kneading bowl, your offspring. I mean, these are awful things. And he goes on, in verse 21, the Lord will make the pestilence cling to you until he has consumed you from the land where you're running to possess it. He'll smite you with consumption. And he goes on and on. The heaven which is over your head shall be bronze. That is no rain. You guys, think what it would be like in the United States if over the entire United States we didn't get rain for one month. You realize how devastating that would be? It would be devastating. Just a reminder, at the point God's ready to get everybody's attention, it's going to be really easy. Anyway, and he's warning them. The Lord will make the rain of your land powder and dust. Because it's devastating. No water, it's devastating. And then in verse 30, he, he talks about things that he would take away. You shall betroth a wife, but another man will violate her. You shall build a house, but you will not live in it. You shall plant a vineyard, but will you not use its fruit? Your ox shall be slaughtered before your eyes. If you go down to verse 38, You shall bring out much seed to the field, but you will gather in little, for the locust will consume it. You shall plant and cultivate vineyards, but you will neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worm will devour them. Your olive trees throughout your territory, uh, you'll not be able to anoint yourself with them because the olives are going to drop off. It just goes on and on. And then in verse 47, he says, because you did not serve the Lord your God with, here's we go with attitude. You did not serve your God with joy and a glad heart for the abundance of all things. 
Therefore, you shall serve your enemies. And then he goes, I mean, he just goes on and on. Now, we're not going to impose the blessings of curse and curses of Deuteronomy 28. But you guys, God is very clear. He is very clear on what is the right thing to do with the wrong thing, and he's very clear about consequences. I mean, he even goes so far in 1 Corinthians 11 to say some people were sick because of the rebellion, and some even slept. That is, they died. He's just very clear. What we need to understand as it relates to his discipline, what he favors and what is wrong. And so when we talk about appropriate discipline for, for, uh, for our kids, I think a lot of times we don't have a plan. We're, we're just reacting to the things as they come up. And we haven't thought through, well, okay, if my kid does this, or if they, what are we going to do? I mean, what kind of punishment? And when you don't have a plan, what happens? That's when you default to things like, well, you'll never drive a car, or you're not going to, you know, and we, we make these rash statements, and they just get us in trouble. So next week, we'll talk more about a, a, a plan. What, what could we do that would discourage our teenagers from following this dangerous pattern? What could we take away? What could we give? Because we're, we're, we're really, we move past corporal punishment, all right? And so we need to think through wisely how this works. And then a lot of times, we don't have a graduated plan. It's like the, the parent that came in and <laughs> met with me one time and they were so frustrated because their, their, their daughter would slam the door. When she get tired of, you know, she didn't like what they were saying, she'd just walk into a room, wham, and slam that door, you know? And they, they'd like, we don't know what to do. We don't know what to do. I mean, she could still change in the bathroom, things like that, with the door. But, but other than that, just take the door off the room, you know. So they did that. And that, that next Wednesday night, we were in youth group because I was a youth pastor then. And that poor girl, she comes up to my wife. You can't believe what my parents did. And my wife's like, what? They took the door off. She's like. <laughs> there are things that can be done. But, but we need to talk about a process of doing that intentionally and gradually. And you guys, then we don't want to lose sight of the blessings either. I mean, the truth is, do any of you deserve the blessings that God has given you? We don't. We don't deserve the blessings. And some parents get so harsh towards their kids because of the struggles that they've had that they just don't want to bless them, period. You guys, God's grace, his common grace, it's to all men. It's, it's to the most wicked of people on this land. He extends them grace. And so we need to be careful that we don't begin to act in ways that are not consistent with how God has acted. And so trying to balance that and then trying to balance progressions because if it's, if, you know, like uh, on, the, on the weed things, you know, if you say, well, you're disciplined to go pull weeds for an hour, <laughs> it's like three weeds <laughs> and an hour, you know. Well, that's not particularly productive. And so you got to think, so how do you impose discipline that's a little bit more measurable and observable and things like that? But it's not done to, to be just hurtful. But it's just done to, to accomplish your objective. It's done to accomplish your objective. So we're going to talk about those ideas next week. God sometimes gives work. Sometimes he takes away blessings. And, and, and we're going to talk about how to mix those different things up to, to try to come up with a plan. I remember I had it. I'm going to finish with this one, and then we'll go on. I had somebody I was talking to one time, and they had two young girls, and they're in my office, and, and it was a single mom situation. They don't go here, okay, so you, we're fine, okay? Uh, it was a single mom situation, and these, she was just totally out of control with these girls, and I don't know what to do. Nothing seems to work for them. Nothing seems to work, and at that day, there was a mirror on one of the, the door in my office, and, and we're, as we're talking, this one gal is just like, Phew. you know, they're just, they're just little gals, you know? She kept you know, and we're talking, I'm noticing this, and she says, I've just run out of ideas. I just completely run out of ideas. I said, well, I, had, I think I have one for you. <laughs> she says, what? Make her wear the same clothes two days in a row to school. <laughs> the girl just came out of her chair. 
you can't do that. You can't say, you know, it's just like the worst thing in the world. You guys, that's a pretty little thing, you think about it, right? But I mean, I'm just telling you that there are usually things you can do, okay? I'm not saying that's necessarily what you would do. I'm just saying that they're typically things, it's just that they're maybe not as complex as what we think. Maybe they're smaller things that we can do, that we can step up and help them understand. I don't want you to have to do that, but, but you, you need to learn to do what's right, and then we have to explain biblically why that is and the importance of it. And so next week we'll talk about, um, maybe we'll call it creative, corrective parenting or something like that. I don't know. I'll talk about practical. Did you want to say something? Is there a difference between um, corrective versus changing the Well, yeah, I mean, one, you're really trying to demonstrate the gospel and remind them of the gospel. I think that's really true. Sometimes you don't know. You know, sometimes a kid will claim to be a teen. I really anticipate talking about that later, but but I think if a kid, uh, I'll say it now, and then when I repeat myself, just know I've already told you I'm going to repeat myself, okay? <laughs> um, I think that there is a danger if you have a, uh, a student, a teen, who is professed faith to keep asking them, well, are you sure this is genuine? I think that can create confusion in the kid's mind so that it teaches them a lifetime of every time they get into a sinful pattern or a difficult time of life, they question their faith. I, I think it's better, y- you can know that or, or be have concerns in your heart whether they're in Christ or not and not state them, but if they profess Christ, keep teaching them what it means to live as a Christian and grow as a Christian and, and foster that. And over time, they will either come to understand, well, I'm not a Christian or it will affirm and demonstrate itself as they begin to live as a Christian. Otherwise, I just think that you get into trouble with kids, that you, you could just create these, these questions in their mind that every time things go, I mean, you guys, how many times do we struggle with sin? And so we, we just want to be careful how we balance that. But that's a separate issue, okay? All right, good. Well, thanks for the time. It's 10 o'clock. Let me close in prayer. Lord, thanks for the time we've enjoyed together thanks for your word thank you for your patience with us thank you that you discipline us but you discipline us as a loving God and Lord I think probably many of us in this room would acknowledge that it's it can be hard to keep our own hearts in check even with those that we love the most I pray that you would just give wisdom to each one in this room no doubt some are dealing with some really difficult situations with their kids and some maybe just beginning to to work through some of the challenges. Lord, we know that you alone can give the wisdom that we need through your word and your spirit. I pray that these parents would just seek your wisdom and learn to respond and react in a way that's consistent with your word, that they would be biblical testimonies of your grace, and that, God, by your grace and kindness, that you'd work in their kids' lives to, to draw them unto yourself and that they would really have a desire then to grow as they ought. In Christ, we thank you for your kindness to us in Christ's name. Amen.